Are you ready? It's that time! Hello and welcome, uh, friends, Romans, countrymen, um, to season two, episode 14 of Man Buns and Jesus. Uh, we have made it this far. We have survived the Ides of July. Uh, I don't know why I'm making so many Julius Caesar puns today. Just I don't I know either. Ben, I guess because really we survived don't. July, and that's named after Caesar. So, ha. Huh. That's uh, that's uh, that's not a good reason. It's to, not a good anyway. reason at all. Anyway, um, I'm one of your hosts. I'm Pastor Ben Olschlager at Good Shepherd in Lake Orion, Michigan. With me today, as always, um, is the unfortunate soul who has to look at me for the next hour. Uh, that is Pastor Josh Laborious from. Uh, Edgewater Lutheran Church. I almost called it Water's Edge, which is a different <laughs> church I know from somewhere. Edgewater oh, Lutheran oh. Church in Eastvale, California. I stopped myself though. We're good. We're good. I, I it, it. Took, it took me like six months to remember the name of your church, and I think eight months to remember what town it's in. So <laughs> there's actually a uh, good Shepherd Lutheran Church, like. 10 miles from here so oh i'm sure there are a bunch yeah. we are the only edgewater lutheran church in the synod though so good for you good for you yeah anyway um, josh what are we talking about today we are going to talk about evangelism and i i am excited uh, for a couple of reasons and this is why Ben let me introduce the the episode topic, even though I'm it was his idea. Um, the first is evangelism has all like mission and the mission of the Great Commission, which for for anyone who's not familiar with the Great Commission is Matthew twenty eight, and Jesus says to his disciples, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit," and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Um, and that kind of puts the imperative on the church to reach out to people who don't know the gospel. Okay. And it's something growing up. It was always, it was a big part of my dad's ministry. My dad was, my dad was my DCE growing up and he put a really big focus on evangelism right the the great commission made a regular appearance in bible studies and stuff like that and so i i kind of grew up with this this value on it um and that that only increased i went to a school where um there was a lot of there there probably still is there there was a lot of evangelism to be done and uh you know, just the, the more I've grown in the faith, the more important I think it is, right? So it's topic I think is very important. I think it's it's critical. I think it's um, it's a, a responsibility of Christians 
to go out and to to share the realities of our of our beliefs uh, with the people around us. The other reason that I was so excited about this episode is because I have felt vindicated a little bit in how I view evangelism um, by some reading that I've done recently in for my course. Nerd. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, anyway, so how my dad goes about mission, because he, well, I, I guess I can't speak to him as much anymore because he's in a different role than he was. But when I was in high school, how the youth group did mission, we didn't we didn't go door to door knocking, except for we did uh, trick or treat, but for cans, like we gathered canned goods on Halloween. Um, that's the only time the youth group went door to door and it wasn't to evangelize, it was um, to gather donations for a food pantry. Um, we We didn't do like, big gimmicky events we didn't the evangelism strategy of the high school was simply kids bringing their friends to events and the first the first couple events and stuff they brought them to they were really like lighthearted. you know maybe um we had a high school party and you know it was we met at the church there was pizza there were games that was about it um during the meal there was you know a five ten minute devotion but that was that was the high school party and maybe they came to a couple high school parties they got comfortable with the group then maybe they started to come into youth nights and and it kind of grew from there and there are a lot of people that i've talked to that are very big on mission would say that is not enough they would say that mission should should look different than that and i've and and i know a lot of people especially old school mission people who are big advocates for you know going door to door doing the cold calls doing big events that get a lot of people in at once um and i've always viewed that kind of stuff with with a pretty high degree of skepticism just because like I know me and most of the people I interact with regularly are not going to make a significant life change based on some stranger knocking on their door. Right. If, if someone knocks on my door and is like, can I tell you about my church? I mean, I, I mean, because I'm a pastor, I'm going to say, sure, you can tell me about your church. I'd love to talk to you about your church, but like, I'm not joining it. I'm not converting right i'm i am where i am for a reason and with the big events the the difficulty of of using big flashy events for evangelism is then you have to keep doing them because if someone comes to your church because you brought in some big name speaker or something that's why they're there they're there for the big name speaker they're not there for any other reason so you have to keep them coming until you can give them another reason. And the only way to keep them coming initially is to keep bringing in speakers. 
So it's kind of it's a it's a self perpetuating cycle. Okay, so that's when when I talk to I, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of people who are they they are very big on mission. That's kind of their idea of what mission is. And my idea has always been it's quieter. It's slower. It's people bringing their friends and family and connecting them with the community. And to to speak kind of and close off the the high school thing, because this is how my dad did things. The group grew markedly consistently um, when when we moved there when I was in seventh grade. And I think the high school youth had six kids in it. By the time I was in ninth grade, I think we had 36 kids who went on the mission trip with us that summer. And to go in order to go on a mission trip with my dad, your attendance at youth group had to be over 50%. So it wasn't just they came to go on, like they came on the mission trip because it was a big event. That means they were active members of the high school group. So, so it worked and it grew and my dad every year we would set goals as part of the high school leadership team we would set goals for here's here's how many visitors we want to to bring in and here's how many we want to try and retain from that and and more often than not we met those goals so all of this to say you know this is my idea of mission and this is you know and then there's this other idea of mission that's much more i would say maybe in your face um and I really, I couldn't say anything other than I prefer the quiet method, but I'm not to, not to sound pretentious or anything. I'm a man of subtlety, right? I don't, I don't like the big, the flashy. I, I like kind of flying under the radar. I'm very happy with that. Um, so this brings me to the, the book that I mentioned and it's, it's called I should have actually looked this up before. I think it's called like the community according to Paul. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna. Maybe you I can, can find it when I start it. talking here. When I'm when it's finally my turn to respond. Oh, to the, the, okay. <laughs> the church according to Paul rediscovering the community conformed to Christ, and and this guy, go. this author. Is an expert in in Paul, who is he wrote you know most of the New Testament, and he brings up some fascinating points. He says Paul, who I think it would be fair to say he's one of the greatest missionaries of all time, he never, never told the churches that he started to go door to door, and to start knocking and start doing all that. His expectation, and, and this, this guy makes this point excellently in the book, Paul's expectation for his churches would be that their community, that their love for each other, that their service to the world would be so remarkable that people would be drawn into the community. Okay, and when, when especially because I think we're, we're rapidly reaching a place where we're in a very similar environment culturally socially to the early church in that most of the society around us just does not care about what the church has to say um 
I think looking at Paul and saying like, this is the attitude he took. We are, our community is supposed to be so, so perfect as far as what it's supposed to be that people are drawn into that. And once they're drawn into that, then you make the jump and you say, there's a reason our community is like this. So that's, I felt really vindicated reading that book. I think, um, as far as I'm concerned, the argument can be made that Paul support Paul supports my I, my idea of kind of the quiet evangelism. Um, so that's that's my uh, that's my rousing. That's my stump speech. That's my soapbox. Let me know what you think, Ben. So I mean, as I'm as I'm hearing that, I think you're right. Um, I mean, we're as we think about some of the bigger events in the New Testament in terms of the way that evangelism was done, like those big events were Paul walking into a synagogue or one of the apostles walking into a synagogue and challenging the community there with a proclamation of the gospel. Um, I mean, that's where the, the church started, right? Was within the Jewish community and those who had joined the synagogues from the Greek world um, because they liked that faith. Um, and Paul was able to go there to a knowledgeable base, people who kind of understood, at least on some level, the prophecies and the expectations for Messiah um, and proclaimed to them a, a good, faithful exhortation of the gospel. Uh, and so when you see multiple group or large groups of people coming to the faith, it's not necessarily people that are coming to the faith from nowhere. It's people that are coming into the faith. They were standing on the door. Exactly. They were, they were well prepared for Messiah's coming. They were anticipating it. Um, and they jumped at the opportunity to hear, Hey, look, he's already come. He looked a little different than we all kind of expected him to be but he did some pretty fantastic things and even better yet uh, they tried to kill him and it didn't work. Uh, I don't they know succeeded you know in killing him and it didn't stick. <laughs> yeah. That's a better way to phrase it. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. That kind of proves the guy's powerful. Um, but all of that to say is like, when it came to evangelizing the, the, the Greek and Roman world, um, or even the, the Middle Eastern world, uh, what was like kind of the, the dying remnants of the Persian Empire, um, or the Ethiopian world, um, where did that start? That started from Jewish uh, immigrants who had, or who were living in those areas. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was in town to help celebrate the Passover. He's, you know, credited with the founding of the faith in Ethiopia. Um, and there's clear stories of that happening, you know, across Europe, across the Middle East, across Africa, where these people would go back into their own communities and then slowly start to develop uh, the church there, starting from people who are already prepared to hear that gospel message. Um, and then growing into other communities. 
And I look at, I mean, you, you can look at that and, and see the fruit there and the way that that kind of speaks to the way evangelism happens. Um, and then you can look at successful examples of ev evangelism uh, in other times and other places, right? Um, mega churches are their own thing, so leaving them aside. But when you think of a healthy church that you know, a place where they're pretty consistently growing, um, they're actually doing baptisms and not just like uh, someone's grandchild that uh, the, the parents come twice a year and, and grandma really wants to get the baby baptized. Uh, but like they're baptizing, you know, kids, families, parents, um, you know, elderly folks, just people who are hearing the gospel for the first time and, and getting them baptized. Um, oftentimes those places are very community oriented. They care for one another deeply. Um, yeah. uh -oh. Kevin. Scam call. Kevin. Classic. Yep. They're, they want to talk to you about your car's extended warranty, Ben. Probably. Um, it's really important. Absolutely. So, um, you know, these places are really, you know, deeply community connected. Um, there's a lot of care and attention given to relationships between people, caring for the, the needs of one person uh, or for of each person in the community. Um, there's a great sense of responsibility in that congregation. Um, so like if one person in the community does something that fouls the reputation of the whole community, um, the whole community works to address that thing. It's not like a, oh, they really weren't part of us, let's just keep moving forward kind of mentality. It's, okay, yeah, you're right, they were part of our community, we need to address this and we need to do better. Um, there's, so there's that side of things, there's um, like a desire to, actually grow that comes in those communities um they aren't just there to say that they've been to church this week or to like kind of check that box of hey my faith is strong enough i'm a member of a church they like they genuinely want to get to know their god more and that like inspires other people to want to get to know their god more Right. If, um, if you're actually excited about your faith, other people are going to notice that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think the last thing that, that I've kind of noticed, um, and uh, I'm a nerd too, a book that I read recently backs this up too. Um, if you were to go into your community, the area around your church, and just ask people, hey, what do you know about or what do you think of you know, insert your church name here. Um, what would their response be? Like, if I were to go to the, the restaurants a mile up the road from here, um, and we are the one thing on the road other than a liquor store um, for about two miles, um, because it's just- So like, on that road, you just have your whole weekend covered, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, basically. Um, I mean, it's it's a lot of like entrances to neighborhoods and stuff, but there's just there's no like businesses or anything for about two miles from the little strip mall a mile north of us to uh, 
um, the strip malls a mile south of us, uh, other than that one liquor store. Um, but even if I feel like even if I went to the restaurants a mile north in the strip mall up there or uh, some of the stuff a mile south of here, um, and I went in and I asked at the counter, hey, do you know about Good Shepherd? I think there's a decent chance that a lot of people would say uh, no, or at best it might be, you guys the one that's like kind of tucked in the woods off Baldwin there. And uh, that's not, not ideal, I don't think. Um, I think like the healthiest of congregations, when you say their name in a, in a neighborhood or in a community, people go, oh yeah, I know some people from there. Seems like a pretty good place. Yeah, or I, I think there are, there are, cause I think that would be the best. That's the mm -hmm. ideal It's like, I know people and they speak well of the congregation. The other is like a uh, church can be recognizable for something they do consistently. Like, oh yeah, they're the ones who do the food pantry or mm -hmm. they do, you know, they do the VBS every year or they do the trunk or treat every year or they do some fall, like they do something consistently that is a hallmark of the community. Um, and I think kind of in the neutral spot is, I guess we know where the building is, but then there's also the negative of like, where I did my field work in, in, uh, in Missouri, you would go to restaurants and the servers would know when some of the big churches in the area got out and they also knew how well people from those churches tended to tip. And they didn't look favorably on some of those churches because apparently all of the people who came from those churches were very stingy. That's not a reputation you want your church to have in the community that, yeah. um, so, I mean, this is something I'll casually say occasionally, but like, if someone knows you're from Edgewater or from whatever church you're part of, you better tip generously. At very least, you should tip generously, right? You should you should uh, behave in such a way that you are reflecting positively on the group that you are a part of. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, and I think, I think you're right. I think that those relationships go a long way because, right, that's the ideal is having people you say, oh, I know a person, which sounds intimidating, right? Because that means everyone has to do something, right? You <laughs> listening to this, you are officially a part of the mission, right? You cannot sit on the sidelines. And it sounds, oh, that's so much work. not if everyone actually steps up to the plate okay or i know you, i i really hope you have a degree in engineering i you are familiar with the multiplier effect yes okay for any of you who are listening who are less than familiar with the multiplier effect it's it's very fundamental it's when when you multiply something the bigger the number is, the bigger the resultant number is, right? This is kind of the, um, the it's one of the fundamental principles of mathematics. If you have one big, person. Bigger number, bigger. 
<laughs> big number make bigger number. Like that's <laughs> okay. So if you have a con, if you have a congregation of say a hundred people, let's make these these numbers really easy. And everyone in that congregation of a hundred people has one person in their life that they share the gospel with that starts coming to church. You then have a congregation of two hundred people right you say oh a hundred people more that's great for a church of a hundred people you're right it is great every single person only actually had to share with one other person okay and the math shakes out with the number of christians there are in the world because I've, I've used this as an illustration um in in like sermons before the numbers shake out if every single christian in the world were to share their faith with between two and four other people around them. Every single person in the world would have had the gospel shared with them. Now that doesn't, now don't get me wrong here. I recognize that just because you share the gospel with someone doesn't mean they're going to become a Christian. It doesn't mean they're going to start coming to your church, right? But in the principle remains the gospel would be heard by everyone in the world every single christian's just got to take on two two to four of the people around them and when you break it down like that it's like oh that's this is an achievable thing right this is within the bounds of of possibility um but i think what derailed a lot of this and ben you can comment on this I think for a while there, in I'm not a historian, but if I had to guess, it would be um, the middle part of the 1900s to the like maybe the 1950s to the 1980s, something like that. I'm guessing is where this transition started to happen. Evangelism started to be something you paid someone to do. You had positions at churches like director of evangelism or an evangelism pastor or an outreach pastor or something like that. And Ben, he's just so frustrated. He couldn't handle it. He left. He's gone. Um, bye, Ben. I guess I'm hosting the show. By oh, he's back. Never mind. I rescind my panic. Um, so I think something along the lines happened. And once you say, oh, we're doing evangelism, we pay this guy to do it. That takes the that takes the responsibility off of everybody. And maybe I mean, I'm sure it worked some places for some amount of time. Um, but that was a, a, a big different culture from what it is now, right? Like pastor does not carry the, the weight in society that it used to. Right, if, if you go if you if you talk to some of the old professors at the seminary, they'll tell you, like, being the pastor of a church used to carry a ton of weight wherever you went. Like, there was a significant amount of authority that came with that, right? You you would get preferred. I mean, still at a lot of hospitals, they have preferred parking for, for clergy um, because they'll come in and they'll do visits and whatever. Um, but, like... Uh, at a lot of sport for a lot of sports teams, you could get a clergy pass and you you essentially had tickets to all but their most popular games for free. Right. A lot of play like being a pastor meant you got preferential treatment. 
from almost everybody. And in that kind of world, it makes a little bit of sense to have the pastor going around doing these things because they have a, they have a pass. They get a lot, a lot of people take extra stock in their words. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but that is not the world we live in anymore. People who do not go to my church do not care that I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. At all, if I, I think it's probably more likely that they hold it against me than they give extra weight to my words because of it. Um, most people just don't care, though. So it doesn't. What that does is when I go and talk to someone, my words don't carry weight with them. Any any one of their friends who's speaking anything to them is going to be taken more seriously than something I say, which lends even more to this idea like I can't evangelize your friends. You have to you have to share the gospel with your friends. I cannot do it unless I become their friend first, Mm -hmm. which I am willing to do. But that takes time, right? You don't just wake up one morning and oh, look. I got a new friend. It's real life isn't like Facebook. You can't just add people and they're suddenly right there. What do you think? Am I, am I crazy, Ben? I think you're, you're right. But I think more than like making it a position that someone was paid to do. I think the biggest thing that happened was we programmatized it. And the thing that I got up to go grab, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, you will not understand at all what I'm talking about here, but I disappeared off the screen for a moment. He did. Um, it was there, tragic. There are a couple of books on the shelf of my office when I got here um, that. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> no. Gosh is laughing. No. Uh, so get that um, out. Get that off of my screen. The, uh, the books are called Understanding Church Growth and Evangelism Explosion. Um, I don't know about two... Understanding Church Growth. Maybe that one's fine. Mm, mm. No? Um, no, it's not no. fine. Um, both of them carry a copyright date of 1970, um, just so that um, we kind of understand the period of time we're That's talking about 52 here. 52 years ago for anyone who's lost track. Yep. Yep. Um, but the effect that those texts and some of the things that they taught and explained have had on evangelism in the church in the United States is profound. Um, because when those books were released and created, um, it encouraged churches to become monolithic. Um, they had a unified, unitary culture. And that worked exceptionally well in burgeoning suburbs in the United States. Um, cause at that time, um, and in the, the like decade or so following, um, you had a lot of, uh, GI families where kids were reaching high school or college age. So they were all about in the same age group, um, that were in these new suburbs that had developed in the wake of world war II. Um, and so the churches that formed in those areas were, kind of unintentionally very monolithic um the very similar types of families moved into these neighborhoods uh and it just made for a very easy like 
single uh, kind of hearted, focused culture. Um, and then getting into the 70s and 80s, their kids were then moving into the next set of new suburbs, um, founding their own churches. And again, you have a relatively unified culture that grew up out of those communities and out of those experiences. And what these books did was said, lean into that culture as hard as you can, and you will see a lot of growth. And it worked. You had a lot of people moving into new neighborhoods where there were new churches and those churches would explode because uh, those places leaned into the culture of those families, which were relative, like I said, like I keep saying, relatively monolithic. Um, and the church adopted that culture and they, they saw that explosive growth. And then about 20 years later, and this is pretty well documented um, and with very few exceptions, a lot of those churches began to decline um, because their kids who didn't necessarily, like who grew up in the culture of that church, but did not necessarily conform to the culture of that church, no longer felt at home. And the churches and so, weren't built to adapt. Exactly. So like for those first round of churches, the ones that were built in the in the 40s and 50s in the wake of World War II, as those exploded, um, they experienced decline in the 70s and 80s when their kids started their own churches, which exploded and began to decline in the 90s and early 2000s uh, when their kids no longer felt at home. Um, and it's it's a cyclical thing. Um, and so what Josh and I have been harping on here for a lot of this episode is that it's important that we develop and form a community slowly and not just try and build and lean into whatever the next hot thing is. Um, like I could try to create actually now nah, this is a, maybe a bad example that I was going to go for it, but uh, a more relevant example here. Uh, there was an article, I believe, in the New York Times um, about two months ago, uh, where they interviewed two pastors, um, I think both in the state of Michigan. Um, one who fully leaned into the gospel according to Donald Trump. Um, and you can say what you want about Donald Trump. Um, but there are some unhealthy ideas and um, theological heresies, I think, that have become attached to the extreme right of uh, conservative politics and, and Christianity. Um, and this guy fully leaned into all of that um, in an incredibly, at an incredibly unhealthy level. Um, I watched his church of 150 on a Sunday explode to more than 2,000. Because he basically sounds like the extreme far-right news cycle, essentially, in his sermons. Uh, and the people that agree with him flock to that church. But I would put all of my savings on the fact that there is not a single registered Democrat in that church, which does not reflect the culture of that community, like the, the general community around him. Um, in contrast to that, another pastor took the tact of 
we need to be up on current events, but we need to talk about them through a Christian lens. Um, he saw modest church growth, uh, not the book kind of church growth, but he saw modest growth from people who were sick of their pastors not doing that. Not being faithful. Yeah, exactly. Um, but for like basically every person that he had walk in the door, there was someone else who walked out the door um, because they weren't hearing the things that they liked from their monolithic culture of ideas around what the faith is supposed to be. Um, and all of that is to say, like, if you build churches in a monolithic culture, sure, they might explode and they may succeed numerically, they may succeed financially, but they will die. And they will often die a pretty fiery death. Um, well, because you're, you're tied... Quickly. The church should, should only be tied to one thing, and that is the that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. But if you if you are building everything you do and say around one culture or around one thing, then you're going to rise and fall with that thing. Um, so yeah i i had a i think this was, a, this was actually before i went to seminary i was having a conversation with my grandpa who is uh, he's been an incredible pastor for a whole bunch of years <laughs> a whole bunch of years he was the district president of florida georgia for a while by accident um, the story always goes like he let his name stand because no one had ever been elected from the state of Georgia and he let it stand because he figured that no one would elect he, he wouldn't get elected and well he did and so he served but uh, um, and so I was having it was with my grandpa and then two of my uncles who are all who are also pastors and I was talking about some ideas I had for sermons. Uh, I was an education major at Vanderbilt. I was taking some of the lessons I learned in those classes. And I said, how do you guys think this would apply to a sermon? Or how do you guys think this would, this kind of thing would go in a sermon? And I, I remember very distinctly, like I remember the scene, I was sitting on one couch, two, one of them was sitting next to me, two of them were sitting, there were like two couches and an L, two of them were sitting on the other couch. And my grandfather, uh, he spoke up and he said, the thing when you use a gimmick, no matter what the gimmick is, is you have to keep using gimmicks. So if your gimmick is, you know, you're jumping on a political bandwagon, you're tying yourself to it because people who came for that, if you ever stop, they're going to leave. Or if your gimmick is you have a big flashy service that's really, really produced. Um, that's your gimmick. And if you ever stop, if you ever have kind of a low key Sunday or, or things are off or, or your technology isn't working, people who came for the big flashy show aren't gonna come back. Right. So no matter what your gimmick is, like you, you name it, 
whatever your gimmick is, if that's the reason people are coming to your church, when you stop, they will stop, right? That's, that's just kind of, that's following the logic. They have a reason for going. If the reason isn't there anymore, they're not going to go anymore. If you contrast that with, with relationships and relational evangelism, if the reason you're at church is because of the community that's at church, that's going to withstand a lot because the only reason you'll let then leave is if the community disappears. And the community won't disappear as long as the people are there. So it's a, it's a self-perpetuating cycle. And like we said, growth looks a lot slower because relationships take longer. You're not going to see your attendance jump from 100 to 2,000 in a week. It's not going to happen. But the growth you see is consistent. Um, and if you're intentional about how you cultivate that community, so it's not just um, people within their peer groups, so that you're you're building community across kind of lines. Uh, so you know, middle-aged people are building community with high schoolers who are building community with like the old folks, and this community kind of stretches across generations. Even when you get that transition of it's you know, the parents are kind of aging out and the kids are becoming adults. They're going to stick with it because they're just as much a part of the community as they were when they were kids. And the community is going to reflect their part in it. So I, I am a very strong advocate and I know it's frustrating. Um, I, I, I'm going to speak a little bit to our situation at Edgewater. Like, I know at some point Edgewater was bigger than it is. Um, and I know that we've seen churches around us that have exploded. And I know that there's a, there's a desire for that. But I think the growth model of, you know, we add a few people at a time, but we're consistently adding people and they're not leaving. That's more what, that, that's better for the long-term health of the congregation. And a hundred years from now, I mean, I won't be around. So if I'm wrong, I guess it doesn't matter um, in a hundred years. But in a hundred years, community built like this, Edgewater will still be going because the community will still be there. If something was built on a gimmick in a hundred years, that gimmick might not be getting them anywhere anymore. And that church might have been long forgotten by that point. So, um, I mean, like speaking to our, our specific situation, we have added 11 regular attenders and or members in the last year. And I look at that number and I say, that's awesome. That's incredible growth. But if you were expecting to go from worshiping 100 to worshiping 1,000, 11 people is pitiful. So that is what I, I have. A, I have a, a breaking news update for us. Um, oh. We'll say it. We'll say it. Uh, so I texted. We we have a well. I have a friend. I think you're friends too. Uh, a friend from seminary, Aaron Hickey. Okay. And Aaron, uh, he did a lot in his undergrad with friendship evangelism. So I texted him. And I said, "Hey, you want to hop on a podcast quick and talk about friendship evangelism for a minute?" Um, I texted him like. 10 minutes ago while we were recording the podcast. Uh, 
He says, dude, I, I wish, but I am super busy. Here are my two cents. So here are Aaron Hickey's two cents. Evangelism in its most successful form is through relationships. Making disciples is teaching and baptizing, which takes time. One-liners is not are are not are not effective when it comes to a relationship with God Almighty. The, the the word of the Lord, according to Aaron. Thanks be to God. Is that heresy? Am I in trouble for that one? No, because the word of God can be uh, our interpretation of Scripture. We just have to acknowledge that it's not primary or secondary. Okay. Yeah. What he said. Anyway. Um, Circling back a little bit, so we've now railed on programmatic uh, and uh, employed evangelism for half an hour here. Um, and I, I want to circle back to a little bit of why that's damaging and a little bit of why, like, we need to. So, you want to rail on it some more? No, 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 no. I want to get into specifics because um, we haven't necessarily done that. <clears throat> so, like Josh said, evangelism is a very slow process. It's a very uh, methodical process. It requires effort and attention. Um, and the big thing that that programmatic and like employed evangelism did was take the time of an entire congregation, which, you know, could have been 15, 20 minutes a week total for each person in the congregation, put that into one paid position and said, go do everything we want you to do. Or put it on to a handful of volunteers and said, if this church is going to grow, it's because of you. Um, and that's just not a healthy way for a church to function. Uh, that's not a healthy way for a church to grow. Because basically what's going to happen is if a church grows, it's because that person is making connections. Um, but uh, newsflash, and this is maybe another breaking news mid-podcast, humans are, are mortal uh, and don't always live in the same spot forever. So oftentimes these communities built around relationships with like a single person or a small group um, if part of that community left, the relationships built off of that, that formed much of the church, would quickly disintegrate. Um, and so that kind of programmatic evangelism may have led to some growth, but it wasn't sustainable and it wasn't well-founded growth. But what churches really ought to do, and I say this with hope, is that everyone should be involved in evangelism. And that means, you know, if you have a friend or coworker or neighbor or anyone that's interested in coming to church with you, bring them um, and then ingrain them in the community. <laughs> um, let's like, I, I, let's put that in okay because i i don't know how helpful that is 
So he, I was right. What does it mean to okay? What does it mean okay. to ingrain someone in the community? So, for example, um, we have a really close knit community of quilters here. Um, I think their their community, um, if the church were to die, oh, oh my! We, we have, have a surprise a guest. guest. If his phone connects, Aaron Hickey's iPhone is now on with us. Aaron Hickey, welcome to the podcast. Well, I don't thanks know for having me. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Ben, you look like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got for us, Aaron? You said you got two minutes for us. Two minutes? Well, what do you guys? What were you guys talking about? So uh, I was in the evangelism. middle. Of, yeah, I was French in the middle of explaining. I was in the middle of explaining how like uh, a, a church grows through community, uh, well, Christ-centered community that uh, really does what it can to form as many relationships as possible. Uh, I was talking about, we have a quilters group here that meets twice a week and um, like, there aren't necessarily super clicky groups within that group. I mean, there are, are certainly stronger friendships in some places than others, but because everyone knows everyone else so well, that community just continues to roll on, whether like someone's closest friends in the group are there or not. Um, they just continue to grow as a community and continue to work together as a community. And, like On a larger scale, I think that's how a church should function. Um, do you want to jump off of that or do you want to go somewhere completely else? Yeah, you can go wherever you want, Aaron. I mean, if we're talking about like evangelism in general, so because I know you have the EE resources in front of you, right? I, I literally just pulled out the book like 20 minutes ago. If you can't okay. see the screen. Uh, so there's a lot of like non-Lutheran stuff in that. But I mean, it can be used for some help, but I think it's more of a framework than like a... Um, like like i think it should be used more as framework than scripts if that makes sense uh, we've been ripping on it for the last half hour just so you know <laughs> well <laughs> i would i you know i'm gonna plead the eighth commandment but um i i will uh i will say I, there's i think there's other things that are better resources um i think the problem is people use it as you know well this is going to be my preparation for when people ask me um you know, so why is your faith, or why, why are you like this? So, well, because of my faith, right? And EE is really more of go knock on a door, tell them the fi these five, six things, or five things, rather, it's all in your hand, remember? Um, if, I, if I remember correctly. Um, and then it just kind of jumps into, all right, well, if this person immediately comes to faith, um, which it's more of the language of choosing in that moment, which we know we don't believe in choice theology. And then you pray the sinner's prayer and voila, you're in the kingdom of heaven, right? Um, I kind of tend to look towards, um, you know, the end of Matthew, the, the great commission with go make disciples of all nations. Um, and then in that order, baptizing them and making them or and teaching them all that Christ has taught us. And then we jump to first Peter uh, <clears throat> with that knowledge growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So it's not a knock on your door speech. It's a continuous relationship because we're all part of the body of Jesus Christ. We all, I guess in a way, are acting um, as Jesus Christ to the community. Um, And sure, Jesus had those moments like where just he said a few things and bam, this person came to faith but he's also Jesus (laughs) and we're not, we're not Jesus. We can try and be like Jesus the best we can. Um, That's why Ben's growing his beard and hair out, but you know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, um, Like there's a relational aspect to Jesus too. Like even in those moments where he's um, really just speaking to someone in a moment, it's a relationship that's happening. You know, he, in that moment when he's um, picking that woman up from uh, being caught in adultery, Like, it's not just a moment of here's some one-liners. It's, you know, um, get up and sin no more. Get up, I I forgive you, right? There's there's a relationship that he's forming between her and himself. Um, So, yeah, friendship evangelism is is relationship evangelism. It's um, taking the time, which is what we hate as Americans, is... um, you know, taking time out of our day, we all, we want everything to be instant gratification, and evangelism cannot be like that because that's not how God works. Um, he takes time. He takes six days to create the world. He uh, he he takes uh, three days to come from the grave. Um, he he takes his time, and so we have to learn from that to take our time and uh, and just kind of invest into people. So that's my two cents. I like it. I I'd, I'd say that's uh that might even be worth a quarter. All right. <laughs> I was I was going to give you more than that, but we're not we're not going to pay your kid to. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Can you hear Clara uh, whining in the background? She sounds adorable. Super oh, yes. adorable in fact. Yeah. 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 She's pretty passionate about it too, so. Oh, well, that's good. Good. It's good. Start them early. <laughs> Start them early. Yeah, <laughs> raising your child in the way she should go. <laughs> yes, yes. Baptized and now we're teaching. Yep. Good. Good. All right, Aaron. We appreciate you stopping in for us. Yes, thank you for having me, and I, uh, I'm glad that you guys are able to do this podcast thing, the the Man Buns podcast. So, uh, yeah, if you need me back on anytime, just let me know. Um, a minute or two earlier, notice would be great too. So. <laughs> Not halfway through the podcast. I guess. Yeah. I guess we can manage that. Yeah. All right. Well, love you guys. Um, have a blessed week. You too, Aaron. Peace out, Aaron. Yeah. Um. So I think a, a kind of a natural place to go from your example and from what Aaron was saying is, what does this actually look like mm-hmm. in your as a listener in your life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, in, in our lives too, but I think we talked about this when we did our episode on what is a pastor, it looks a little bit different for pastors. Um, and part of that is what Ben was talking about. Like if everyone's connection with the church is surrounding their relationship with the pastor, if the pastor dies or takes another call, a bunch of people disappear with him which is not what you want to happen, right? The church is, is not the pastor. The pastor is a servant of the church. Um, 
but so what does it look like for for you and i i think it depends on what your church situation is i really do because um what it looks like to get a friend involved with edgewater probably looks different from what it looks like to get a friend involved with good shepherd right because we're we're two different congregations um mm-hmm. But so what we have done at Edgewater and what we strive to do at Edgewater is make make it easy to invite friends to get connected with the church community. Because I, I will be the first to admit that Sunday morning worship isn't necessarily the uh, the most accessible entry point, right? Like we we do things in there that can be off-putting. We can we do a confession and absolution every week where we confess that we are poor, miserable sinners. That's a weird thing to invite a friend to, okay? So at Edgewater, we strive at least once a month um, to just have a, a community building event. Well, we eat a guy. Symbolize ritualistic cannibalism. Um, but that's not symbolic. Yeah. Uh, that was a quote from a book I read. I don't remember what the title was, but the, the professor was making a joke that like, if you want to come to my church, we practice ritualized cannibalism every Sunday. It's the <laughs> Methodist church down the street. Anyway. Um, On that note, there was a, a, car, a communion card put out a while ago uh, by the LCMS that it leaned into the, the story and acts of the uh, the many becoming sick uh, in the wake of, or it's in First Corinthians, maybe in the exhortation on the Lord's Supper. Uh, but in it is becoming sick, becoming sick in the wake of of um, mistaking the Lord's Supper um, to the point of death. Um, so there's that, and then also uh, playing on the fact that we believe we are eating Jesus' body and blood, saying. Just note that by partaking in the supper improperly, we believe that you can uh, take up communicable diseases. Um, <laughs> I believe it was it was made in jest, uh, just so you know. I hope but, so. Uh, um, like this. This is not does. my point. <laughs> okay, so Sorry, continue. The, the point being, you know. If you have a friend who's not really sure about church, inviting them to a worship service might not be the best way to start them getting connected with the church community. Is it a step we should eventually take? Absolutely. Is it the first step? I would say no. Um, so at Edgewater, we try to every every month we do something that it is easy to invite people to. Like we'll do a cookout. It is really easy to say, hey, do you want to come to a park and have some free food and let your kids play while you can talk with other adults? Right. That's a really easy thing to invite a friend to. People don't say no to free food unless they're already getting free food somewhere else. Okay. Um, So we do cookout. We did an art night. We did a bingo night. Like these are things it's really easy to invite a friend to. So if you're saying, well, how do I, how do I make this step? Start by doing that. Introduce them to the community at one of these really low threshold events, which I don't know what it looks like at your church. I hope, I hope wherever you're listening from, I hope your church does something in the way of community building. 
If not, maybe see if you can get something started, which I know would be more on you as a listener, but, um, but in, invite him to that if stuff. If you do that, your pastor will love you. Yes. Yes, he will. Um, and just be open to those conversations. And what I think is real, this is, I think, maybe the most important piece of advice for this. If your friend has questions about the faith and he or she asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, say, I don't know. Practice it with me, everybody. You don't have to practice it, Ben. Everybody practice. I'll give you a second. I don't know. Good. You got it. And if you didn't (laughs) say I don't know in that brief second of silence, shame on you. Rewind and try again. Um, and, And you can punt. Like if, if someone were to come to me from my congregation and say, I was talking with my friends about Jesus stuff and they asked this question I don't know the answer to, I'd be like, Yes, I'd love to sit down for coffee and, 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 and do my best to answer your friend's really hard questions, right? I live for that kind of conversation. I love that stuff. Um, I think a lot of pastors do. Mm-hmm. But it's really as easy as that. Be open to the conversations. And it's really important to be willing to say, I don't know. And to be willing to admit that and be honest with that um, for a whole bunch of reasons. But fundamentally... You're not telling them anything that's wrong that is going to have to be corrected or is just going to continue to be problematic. Um, and also, you're showing them your faith, that you don't have all the answers, but you still believe. Um, so that's, if, if you're asking me, how do, how do you, as a listener, do this relational evangelism? It's as simple as that. Invite your friend to church stuff. And especially don't like stuff that's not a Sunday morning worship service and be willing to have conversations with them about hard stuff. Don't you don't have to force the conversations. I mean, if an opportunity presents itself, sure, you know, have that conversation, but just being open to it and being willing to listen and and talk, it goes a really long way. Um, So. Those are the strategies I have for him. Anything to add, Ben? I I think I would uh, agree with you there. And I think, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned both of these not necessarily connected, but when you engage people in church events that include uh, people from your church and people from outside of your church community, the people from outside of your church community that you know um, are going to be more likely to ask you questions about your faith if they are engaging on a regular basis with people of the faith Uh, and especially people of the faith that are uh, see episode one not jerks so i think uh we've we've covered bases pretty well here um Josh, you got a takeaway for for today? Um, I think my takeaway is invite your friends to low threshold church stuff. Mm -hmm. If you want to do evangelism, that's how we do it. You expecting more? I, I, 
I was I waiting can for shut you up to occasionally. Say, I was wait, waiting for you to say something like, Ben, what was your takeaway as they signed that ben, you were done? What was your takeaway? <laughs> uh, um, Pastor uh, Reverend Ben, please, please share with this peasant your takeaway for the day. How's that? Is that better? No, that was way worse. <laughs> uh, so much more painful. Good. I live to disappoint you. Good. Um, <laughs> No, my takeaway, and this is something that was kind of an undercurrent of the whole episode. Um, that was a nice subtle flex right there, Josh. Um, I do my best. Kind of an undercurrent of the whole episode was uh, being a part of the church is a all hands on deck activity. Um, churches which have, you know, ten or fifteen percent of the people doing. 90% of the work um, die, especially when it comes to evangelism. If even half the church is engaged in evangelism, and I know that there are some people like shut-ins, uh, kids who are still like not old enough to speak, um, and you know, a handful of other circumstances where people can't do anything really evangelistically or you know, church work-wise. Um, if the rest of the congregation is on board, the church will prosper, not because like the church needs to prosper, but because when we do the work of Christ, people see it, find it attractive and want to become engaged. Um, and ultimately that's our goal. And if we can accomplish that goal. Um, these communities that we love as your pastor, this community that we serve and love um, will be exactly what we want it to be and that is a place that doesn't need us. Oh man. Yeah. Great words. Great words from a wise man with a bushy beard. That's why I've got some gray in my beard. About 10% wisdom. <laughs> Yeah, the other ninety percent is bull. But <laughs> um, I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> uh, so some some prayer thoughts to put on your hearts uh, today. Pray for the gospel to keep going out. Pray for churches to be faithful in what they do, and pray for the people in your life that God has put there so you can witness to them. Um, and if you've recognized them at, like specifically, pray for them by name. Uh, so I, I know, I, I don't know if any of them listen to this, but I know I have some friends who are in that boat. They're, they're all across the country now, but I mean, if you happen to be listening to this podcast, I pray for you every day by name. Um, hoping that someone who's in your life now is going to make that connection. So, uh yeah uh shameless plugs check us out on podcasting things we're on almost all of them except for pandora because whatever i don't i don't even care anymore pandora you can i'm not going to say anything rude in case they do let us on their platform don't break any commandments here josh 
But Pandora, I'm no longer super. I'm just, I'm just, I'm apathetic about the situation now. But any other podcasting platform we're on, I think you can even tell your smart home to play Man Buns and Jesus, and I'm pretty sure it'll find us. Um, which is that's terrifying. Interesting. <laughs> um, so uh, check us out. If you follow the podcast, it accomplishes two things. First, it uh, will remind you when there's a new episode. And second, uh, it gives us a little bit of gratification that people actually care <laughs> that, we're, that we're still here doing this thing. Um, we also have a Facebook page. Like it if you'd like. Uh, we don't do a ton on the Facebook page. We announce every week when the new podcast is out. Um, but the Facebook page is a good place if you want to get in touch with us. If you have questions about anything we say in a podcast or concerns about our sanity or anything else that we do, <laughs> In these podcasts, uh, you can reach out through the Facebook page. If you have a topic you want us to, to tackle, Facebook page is a good place for that. And if you want to come on the show, uh, with more planning than Aaron was afforded, uh, we can, <laughs> we'd be happy to have you on the show. So, Where's Aaron at these days? Plug for him. Yeah, yeah. Good good for Aaron. We're, nope. We'll have him on for a full... What, what Where, did you what say? What church is he at? I don't remember. Sorry, Aaron. Neither one of us know. We love you, bro. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll have him on for a full Aaron episode Hickey, go to soon. His church. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, that's enough of our shenanigans for the day. Uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope the Lord blesses you in it. Unless you know you shouldn't be doing it, then stop that. Stop it. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.